You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. A thousand patients across Ontario are treated in hallways every day. That is the finding of the anxiously awaited first report of the Premier's Council on Improving Healthcare and Getting Rid of Hallway Medicine. And even though hospital overcrowding is a huge problem, the Premier's point man, Dr. Ruben Devlin, says increasing the number of hospital beds won't solve the problem. The report actually found a lot of things that we already know. A lot of people remain in hospital when they don't need to be there because they can't access the care they need, be it home care or long-term care or rehab. The numbers on these problems show they're getting worse. Patients find it hard to navigate our sprawling health care system that jeopardizes their health as well as the health of their caregivers. And no solutions laid out here, but the thinking is that this will lead to a more centralized system. I want to hear from you. I'd like to hear about your experiences with hallway medicine. Feel free to vent the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Frangelina, who is the NDP health critic, and Dr. Harold Ovens, who is an emergency physician and the chief strategy officer for the Sinai health system. Hello, welcome to you both. Good morning. Uh, thanks, Libby. By uh, the way, it, it's, it's Howard, not Harold. Thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I just misspoke. It was written, Howard. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, um, okay uh, France, uh, what's your reaction to this? I mean, it does say a lot of things, as I said, that we already know. Yes, it does say a lot of things that we already know, uh, but it does sort of open the door as to what is the path that they see to solve it as well. If you write, the report is not that long, 32 page, if you read through. So it tells us that a thousand people every night in Ontario hospital are sick enough to need to be admitted into a hospital bed, yet they will be admitted into a hallway, into a TV room, into a patient waiting area, into anything but a room. Right here, right now in Ontario, it also tells us that over 4,600 people are in our hospital right now uh, because there is nowhere else for them to go. Uh, They need long-term care. They need um, better home care. They need uh, 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 rehab. None of that is available to them. This is one bed out of six. So you look at a ward and you say, I don't know, there's like 24 uh, beds on this ward. Well, four of them are used by people who shouldn't be there. Uh, That's... uh, um, We now have numbers. I would tell you that we already knew those numbers. Uh, They have admitted that the system is the way it is, and they open the door to their solution is to integration uh, with a hard focus on privatization. Uh, Well, we don't 
Okay. Uh, that is the theory of a lot of people that, that this uh, could lead to more privatization. And we have definitely heard that uh, they are looking at abolishing those local health integration networks. Uh, Dr. Evans, so they focus on uh, you're an emergency physician, on yeah. emergency. Uh, the numbers are uh, an 11% increase in emergency visits over the last six years. Uh, again, and uh, they, they say that a lot of things that are treated in emergency really could be treated actually by primary care. Uh, and the problem is that emergencies are the only facilities that are open all night. I mean, I've got to tell you, I'm, you know, going down memory lane here. When I was a cub reporter <laughs> in the in the mid-80s, the first big series I did was on exactly these problems in emergency rooms. Um, so these problems have been uh, present for some time. Uh, the we've done uh we've made some progress uh in ontario between uh 2008 and 2015 uh we had an overcrowding we still have an overcrowding strategy that included some financial incentives for hospitals that uh made some significant progress on the on the problem uh since 2015 we uh have slipped back and crowding has become worse and um uh, there are many patients sleeping or getting care in hallways in all of our emergency departments on a regular basis. We do need better access to primary care. There are many patients who would prefer to go to their family doctor or to their regular uh, specialist if they have chronic disease who end up in the emergency department because they can't get timely access. But really, that, those aren't the people who cause hallway medicine. Um, it's really uh, patients who are um, uh, the ALC problem, the people who uh, 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 Ms. Shalanda uh, described as waiting for uh, care other than in an acute care facility, home care, long-term care. Those patients take up beds in our acute care facility and our admitted patients can't get up to them. So uh, if, you're, if you've got a sore throat, sprained ankle or whatever, and you're sitting in the waiting room or in a chair in the emergency department, that's not uh, why somebody else is lying in a hallway who needs a bed. Okay. Uh, so you're, are you pointing to the wait for long-term care as uh, the key in there? Uh, the, the report quantified that saying the average wait, the median wait, was 146 days. The uh, the report talks about 146 days. That's the time that people admitted into a hospital who no longer need hospital care have to wait to go into a long-term care home. That does not, there's about 4,600 of those. That does not take into account the 30,000 people who are at home waiting to be placed into a long-term care home. And uh, what uh, the, the Dr. Howard said is is also true. Uh, in 2017, 10% of people waited 39 hours in ER to be admitted. In 2018, it was now 41 hours. Think about it. You are sick enough to be admitted into a hospital bed. 41 hours, that's like two sleeps, six meals that you will spend in an environment that is 
noisy, uh, loud, uh, with bells and lights, and, and you are very, very sick. There is no way that we can provide quality care to those people. And then after waiting for 41 hours, you will be admitted into a TV room. Uh, the TV will be great, but there will be no bathroom, no shower, no call bell, no oxygen, no nothing. Um, so the, the situation has been getting worse. And as the doctor said, we made progress till 2015. I will remind you that the Liberals decided to zero budget base increase to our hospital for four years in a row. Um, there's a link between those two. Okay, and uh, could I could I please? Comment? Yeah. So uh, yes, I uh, first of all I agree that um, uh, the uh, uh, zero uh, or flatline budgeting of hospitals really uh, contributed to the worsening of the crowding the last couple of years. I just want to say that there's also um, what we call ALC patients, patients who are waiting to go somewhere else, not just in our acute care uh, system, but in other uh, facilities. Uh, uh, people in rehab, chronic care, uh, are also waiting for long-term care or for community housing. And so they're at every step of the system, your ability to move to where you need to be is blocked by other people who are in those facilities who should be going somewhere else. So we need to grease the wheels all the way along. It's not just getting out of acute care but there are other people um, in these other facilities who, who need to be in the right place also. Um, and I, I, again, uh, the report seems to uh, pinpoint people not getting care from their primary physicians. We're, we're soon going to uh, bring in uh, the Family Physicians Association in just a moment. But uh, again... Do you do you agree that that's a problem, Dr. Ovens, or are you saying it's the long-term care situation? The government has committed to 30,000 beds in, in five years, but, you know, it takes time to bring those things on stream. So it's, uh, I don't think it's an either-or situation. Um, if you have good access to primary care, uh, that will um, uh, reduce the number of people with relatively minor acute illness and injury who end up in an emergency department um, where you can also get some impact on the bed situation is if you have uh, good uh, continuity of care between uh, hospitals and other institutions and, and family physicians where the communication between the different parts of the system is, is, is clear and continuous and seamless then you get better management of, of the uh, patients with chronic illnesses who use most of the uh, resources, and you can prevent readmissions, you can shorten admissions, and you can uh, make everything more efficient. So the, the family doctors are key players. Okay, uh, on that I, note... I would, agree, uh, I would agree with this and add uh, to this our broken home care system. Lots of frail elderly people can stay home respectfully in their own house, in their own homes, if they have access to home care. But our home care system is broken. It cannot recruit and retain a stable workforce. Those people end up in trouble. They end up in the emergency department. They end up admitted, and then they end up not being able to go back home because they depend on a home care system that is not dependable. 
You know, it's interesting. Just yesterday, I was talking to the seniors minister, the federal seniors minister, uh, trumpeting all the money they've given for home care, but the situation never seems to get better. Uh, I'm going to now bring in Kavita Mehta, and uh, she is the CEO of the Association of Family Health Teams of Ontario. Uh, Ms. Mehta, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so... uh, this report seems to put a lot of the onus on primary care, on family health, and it basically says that a lot of people go to hospitals which get overcrowded because uh, they don't have access to their doctors, uh, you know, at the right time. Should doctors be offering, you know, more flexible hours or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I just I want to just from point of clarification, um, we're an association that represents the family health team model of care delivery, where doctors are absolutely a critical part of it, but they're not necessarily the only part of the model. I will say, though, that, uh, yes, this is absolutely an ongoing issue around access to care, access to care in primary care, timely access to care in primary care. And there's a lot of elements um as to why this has happened, you know, I think that uh, we as a province have not created a foundation of primary care like many other jurisdictions have done. You know, when you, when you actually put attention on primary care and fund it and support it with the resources in, in our world, that means actually supporting your family doctors with interprofessional team members that can actually take care of the chronic diseases, to c- take care of the multimorbidity, the poly, uh, the patients with a tremendous amount of um, uh, complex needs, then uh, we actually are putting a lot of stress on a system that can't handle it, a sector that can't handle it. So for many patients, they are not actually able to access their physicians because they, the physicians are not readily Accessible. Yeah, they don't. They don't have time, and uh, I, I have to tell you. For instance, my family health team, they have a uh, walk-in clinic for mm-hmm. patients of the clinic mm-hmm. uh, five days a week, mm-hmm. but it's between you know one thirty and three. So it's still you know you still have to take the day off work and go sit there. You know yeah. why wouldn't that be available? You know from six to eight. And it should be. Um, I think that there is definitely some work that needs to be done, and this is outside of our purview. It's the purview of the, you know, the OMA and the ministry around after-hour access. If you're in these physician compensation models where you are being paid through a capitated model of payment, you actually are supposed to be providing after-hours access, and that's after five. And that could also include weekends. So I think there are some elements of accountability that uh, will need to be addressed. But I think most, most primary care groups and most physicians are doing a really good job at providing access to care after hours when available and if again if resourced appropriately to do so they can't work 24 7 i know that's the hope and the wish and you know i think one of the things that uh this uh report highlights very clearly is that uh, a lot of people are going to the hospitals because that is 24 7 it's it's accessible readily available um and if we can actually come up with an integrated health system where you could incent and you could actually resource primary care um, such that you could offer care outside of the normal, what you consider normal business hours. I I don't see why that couldn't be done. Okay, we have a a lot of people waiting to talk and then we will get back to our experts, Dr. Howard Ovens and Franz Jelina. Uh, So let's hear from Janet and Barry. Hi, Janet. Hi, how are you? We're fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, um, my mom, uh, I took her to the hospital in the middle of November 
because she had what was um it was a um a blister on her foot that ended up growing up into an ulcer. I had a very hard time getting her help to come in house here. So finally I just thought I had enough, it's getting worse. I took her to the hospital via ambulance and uh she's been treated well. Uh December twenty seventh she was assessed to come home. Um so now we're and my home was assessed as well. So now we're just waiting for um the uh, CCAC to arrange for PSWs to come in and help. My mom is a two-person lift. Um, they don't have enough PSWs, so my mom is still in the hospital waiting. We have no idea how much longer it's going to be. Um, every day they send out a request to all the agencies who have PSWs uh, requesting for some to fill in the schedule, but uh, it's not happening. They just don't have enough PSWs. So my mom has to stay in the hospital because I cannot look after her by myself. Janet, thank you for sharing that. I think that illustrates uh, the problem. I'm going to let uh, Dr. Ovens, I mean, yeah, you know, and one of the things that that as a patient you hear is that not only is it good to emergency, but if you go in an ambulance, you'll get good service. Dr. Evans, what's your response to that? Uh, well, let, let me say that, um, first of all, uh, I, I'm very sorry for her experience. Personal support work is very uh, difficult, challenging work, and uh, we really do depend on these people in the system, and, um, and the shortage is a, is a big concern in many communities, so uh, I'm very sorry uh, for her wait. Um, as far as calling 911, um, you, you know, it's uh, like yelling fire in a movie theater. If you don't really need an ambulance uh, and you tie up a, a crew and a vehicle uh, just to get you to hospital faster or to hope that you get faster attention, uh, it's really doing a disservice to your neighbors in your community. And uh, once you get to the emergency department with an ambulance, we'll triage you quickly. But if you're perfectly stable, we have no trouble getting you uh, off the ambulance stretcher so the crew can get back on the road and having you take a seat in the waiting room. So you don't necessarily go to the head of the queue other than uh, when you first arrive. Um, there are, I, I can't, I don't want to spend too much time here, but there are some lots of good resources that will help you decide if you need 911 or not. Um, you know, if you're having chest pain, if you're short of breath, if somebody's, uh, if you're with someone who's confused or has uh, lost consciousness, uh, then for sure call 911. But um, if you if you are in doubt or if you really think you could get there by a private vehicle or taxi, then it is a horrible uh, abuse to uh, tie up a crew in a truck uh, just for your own convenience. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Sorry, go ahead, Fos. I would add to Janet's story about her mom that uh, it is a typical example of uh, I take it her mom is elderly, uh, older than her, anyway, and uh, ended up in a little bit of trouble at home. She's in the hospital, and now she cannot go back home because our home care system is not able. She is a perfect client for a home care system. She has a daughter with a home that's willing to, uh, to help out. She has a place to go where she would be surrounded by people who love her, not a whole bunch of diseases that that roams around hospital hallways, but yet uh, our home care system is not able to uh, meet 
basic home care needs. Um, uh, to do a transfer, to watch a, uh, a uh, uh, ulcer on a foot is something that could perfectly be looked after at home. But our home care system is not able to do this. And then our hospital becomes what our hospital has always been, the net of last resort. Whenever a piece of our home care, of our health care system is broken, our hospital catches us all. But at some point, they get pretty full. Okay, I'd like to bring in Francesca Grosso, and uh, she is the Vice Chair of uh, Patients Canada. Hello, Francesca. Well, hello. So you've looked at the report, and from the patient's point of view, okay, it lays out the problems. Uh, I'm not sure that there's any obvious solution there. What's your reaction to what you've seen so far? Well, first of all, I have to say, Libby, that we were really proud of Patients Canada because our board chair, Michael Dechter, is actually on the Patients Council and her Premier's Council, and it enabled us to ensure that the patient voice was heard. Personally, um, I just read through the report, and I was elated, and I'll tell you why. You can't fix a problem until you know that you have one, you're willing to admit that you have one, and you're willing... To, uh, to explain it and talk about what it is. For too many years, for too many years, we have heard government talking about how we have the best health care system in the world, uh, how everything is terrific, how we are doing all these great pieces of legislation, absolutely wonderful names that actually haven't improved the patient experience uh, on the ground. And that's what we're hearing from our patient communities. I, I think you have France Janina on the phone. Is that uh, one of uh, your guests? Yes. Yeah, yeah well, uh, okay. hello, France. And um, I can say that uh, you are completely right that we don't have the ability to provide care when we need it. So that brings me to the second thing about this report that I love. Francesca, can you just hold on a minute? Uh, Dr. Evans has to go, so I just want to get a uh, concluding thought from him. Uh, well, uh, I think that th- this uh, this report has been clearly positioned as a preliminary report uh, and uh, is a good catalog and uh, uh, definition of the problems that we face and uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on your show today. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Evans. Uh, we will revisit this, I'm sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Francesca. Uh, you know, please continue. Do you see a solution embedded in this? Well, I think there will be solutions. But as I said, this is a big step forward to be able to say that not just we have a problem, but what the problems are, like what is it that they are trying to solve. Uh, The second point that I think is really important is I was really thrilled in reading the report to see that hallway health care is not just about more money to hospitals. You know, Hospitals are so important, but they have become the default for a community sector that isn't working. You know, if you if you got into a car accident, you'd probably get very, very good care being flown to a trauma center. But the problem is, as we age, we do need more care at home. And I speak from first person because my mother is a frail, elderly, complex patient, and I spent Christmas with my family uh, in the intensive care unit, Uh, up in Sudbury. Why? Because she was not given a very simple test that could have led to an antibiotic regimen in her home. So that's where we were Christmas Eve for the next 14 days. 
because that was not done, because it was all confusion. So we have to fix health care by also building capacity in the community to be able to handle the people who want to stay home and who should be staying home, but who need urgent attention and ongoing attention that we simply aren't providing. Our system is not responsive. Okay, uh, we're starting to run out of time. I do want to get to a couple of calls. Paul in Woodstock. Hi, Paul. Well, thank you, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. I do enjoy your show very much. Thank you. Just a couple quick comments. My daughter is an RN, and she has explained all these things to me, and the health care system just isn't providing what is needed. We definitely need improvements in our home care. Uh, she was doing that for a while, and she found that many, many of the people she was seeing were sent home without any kind of plan in place to care for them. And sometimes they were at home for a week or two before she even got the, mes- the message to show up there. And when she did, they didn't know how to take care of themselves. And a lot of times they end up right back in the hospital. And as far as our doctors go, I, I think we're very fortunate in this country to have a health system in place that we do. And I'm not a doctor. I did not go to university. But bottom line is I earn more money than they do for the responsibilities that they have. And every time you turn around, they seem to be compromising how much a fellow, a fellow or a lady like this can earn. And, like, I did have one doctor, he left, he went to the States just because of the cutbacks. Okay. And just one, one final comment. Uh, we've, we really have to go. I think should be outlawed. We're very fortunate in this country, and this will undermine our health care system immensely. Okay, Paul, thanks for that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we are totally, absolutely out of time. Uh, I'm going to revisit this very soon because uh, obviously there's a lot more to say about it. And I'd like to thank France Jelina, the NDP health critic, and Kavita Meda, <clears throat> excuse me, who is the CEO of the Association of Family Health Teams of Ontario, and Francesca Grosso with Patients Canada. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.